This is Fresh Shed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas in educational research easily understood. I'm your host, Will Brem. Today, we flip the script. Susan Robertson interviews me as part of her weekly Ideas Lab seminar series at Cambridge University. We discuss the creation and evolution of Fresh Ed and what the podcast's impact has been on higher education. We recorded this interview in front of a live Zoom audience, and I thought I should share it with you. Let me turn it over to Susan. This is quite a, an amazing occasion because essentially Will's going to be interviewed um, by the Ideas Lab located here in the Faculty of Education uh, at the University of Cambridge for his own show. But it's such a great pleasure to be able to do this guest spot where uh, we're um, meeting the founder, the creator and the ongoing editor of Fresh Ed. Now, Fresh Ed, if you don't know it, is a weekly podcast and it's focused on new educational research uh, issues from all over the world. It's an amazing uh, program. It's been downloaded uh, well, not far off half a million times, which is quite something. A little bit about Will. He's the uh, lecturer. He's a lecturer in education and international development at UC- UCL at the Institute of Education uh, in London, and also a member of the Centre for Education and International Development. And his research interests include uh, comparative education, uh, international relations, uh, political economy, and so on. He's got a book coming out soon called Cambodia for Sale. So uh, look out for this book because it'll be a really important uh, contribution. Welcome, Will. Welcome to the Ideas Lab and welcome to your own show as the star. It's it's a very strange feeling. It just feels very much flipped, but I'm happy to be here and thank you so much for inviting me. It's a great pleasure, Will. Um, so, Will, why start Fresh Ed? It starts in 2015, but what was your niggling suspicion of what was missing in the broadcasting world? Well, it's, you know, I can make it sound really fantastic or I can give you the real answer. And the real answer is my wife, uh, Joe Fay, um, had the idea when we moved to Japan. But when I think back on it now, you know, I'm, I'm an American. I've lived this young academic career's life where you have to move around the world. And so I did my master's degree in America and then was I lived in Cambodia. I did my PhD in Hong Kong. I ended up getting a job in Japan. Here I am now sitting in London. And so in many ways, you know, you lose your home. And so you have to find ways of finding a place to live. And I I think of Theodore Adorno when when he had to live in exile in the UK. And he he sort of found his place through writing. And I ended up finding my place in the world through podcasting, which is a very strange thing. I never thought that that would happen. But more or less, the idea was I moved to Japan. I didn't really know anyone, and I needed to maintain and build contacts. And I thought creating a reason to have conversations with people on Skype. We used Skype back then before the pandemic when everyone moved to Zoom. And I basically figured this would be a great way to connect with people, talk to people, and then potentially, you know, have interesting conversations that other people might be interested in. I never would have imagined that this would turn out the way it did. I mean, originally I was 
creating this in my room in Tokyo, doing the recordings, doing the editing, you know, all by myself, trying to make it work, learning how to do um, web design. And now we have a team of 11 people working on it. We have a board members, we have five board members who sort of guide us. We're an actual nonprofit organization registered in America. So it's sort of just exploded over the last five years to something I never imagined. So it's quite the institution. I mean, I remember your early days, Will, when, you know, annually you'd do an interview with myself and my colleague Roger Dale, roundup of the year, but 11 people um, and, you know, a, 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 essentially a, a, an institution in its own right. Um, well, I'm wondering, who is the audience and do you have a sense of how it's expanded and over time? Yeah, so statistics on podcasts are actually notoriously hard to track. And the analogy here would be like the the CD for those who used to listen to CDs. If you were to sell a CD, you have no idea how many times someone listens to that CD or if they give the CD to someone else to listen to or if they're sitting in a room with multiple people listening to the CD. All we know is that you sold one CD. And podcasting is very similar. We know that the number of computers, or not even computers, the number of IP addresses that have downloaded and the, the podcast one time. Now, do they listen to it multiple times? Do they listen to it with other people in the room? Do they send the file by email to other people? We don't know. And so it's, it's actually quite frustrating. Generally speaking, what we do know is that we have about, we get over 10,000 unique listens per month. We have IP addresses or people that are living in over 150 countries. Um, we know roughly that, you know, about 40% of the people listening are, reside in America, um, in the United States. Now, are those Americans? I, I don't, I would say no. I think some of them are probably, you know, international students studying in America, but their IP address is located in America. So it's, it's notoriously hard to sort of unpack this. In terms of unique listeners, so not just the number of downloads, but how many people are actually listening, my best estimate, and I can go into how I've calculated this, but my, my best estimate is about 2,500 people every month are downloading more than one show every month, basically. Um, and we also know that we're really used in universities quite a lot. So I've seen um, different, like, you know, Cambridge Moodle or, or UCL Moodle pages or Harvard Moodle pages. I, we know we, we've counted about 30 universities from around the world connecting to Fresh Ed. And, but how they use it, we don't know but we know that they are connecting to us. So in terms of the actual audience, if we were to sort of categorize them, we I would say there's three categories. One is students. Uh, I think that's our biggest category. And so most people that listen to the show are, are either master students or PhD students. Um, so people that are very well read, in a sense, in the field of education. Um, teachers or practitioners, um, uh, or teachers, I should say, including professors. And then the last type is practitioners or NGO workers, World Bank workers, UNESCO workers. Um, those are roughly 
the, the, the types of people we have. And then, of course, there's my parents. My parents are probably the biggest fan of the show and have listened to every single episode from beginning to end. And so, you know, they, they, they don't fall into any of those three categories necessarily. Uh, there's a lovely um, bit of your audience um, that I think is really, really important. Um, so you have a particular, I mean, you talked about, you know, going from your room to 11 people. So talk to us about this, this, this model. I mean, how, how did you go from that to that? You know, are there financial challenges? How, you know, who's on your board? You know, what does it mean to be a non-profit in a world of pandemic and uh, rapid expansion of, you know, the big um, knowledge distributors um, and so on? So it's not easy. I mean, institutionalizing, I've, I really had to learn quite a lot about um, how to manage a team and, and what a team looks like and sort of the legal aspects of what an institution is and, and, and then all the budgeting aspects. I mean, we don't have lawyers. We don't have accountants. We're, we're basically doing this all by ourselves. And so it, there's a big, steep learning curve on top of all the technology, on top of all the sort of academic work. Um, but the team has been really great. I mean, you know, originally it was um, just f- people who were interested in the show that got in touch with me and said, can I help out? And then we sort of expanded it a bit for some some people I worked with, some students I worked with in Tokyo who wanted to get involved. Um, and then it just sort of grew from there. And now we do advertise and, and, you know, for positions and people sort of apply and we do interviews. And so it's it is, you know, much more formal in a way, which has its pros and cons. I mean, there's something really nice about working on a project together and not really thinking of it as an organization where you want, because when you think of it as an organization, you have to actually think about, are you compensating people fairly, right? It's not just simply all working together on a project. And this sort of project takes huge numbers of hours every week to pull off. We, We do about 40 shows per year. And so, you know, it takes huge numbers of labor time, basically. And when you institutionalize, you now have to actually be very careful about, you know, you have to make sure people are compensated and and paid, um, and not just simply exploited, which, you know, in in the world of education and higher education, a lot of graduate students are exploited. And, you know, there's movements in the US, I know, for trying to unionize a lot of um, graduate students where they do so much teaching. And they justify it in terms of your sort of getting experience and training that you can use in the future. And I, I thought that's not what we want to do. We don't want to go down that road of sort of relying on exploited labor. And so we've, we're very clear that we were going to pay people for the work that they put in. Um, and so we now do that. And, um, you know, it does make it a bit more of a challenge because now we have to account for hours and we have to, you know, figure out monthly payments, but we can do it and we have figured out how to do it. The board is really supportive. I mean, we have a board that is comprised of, so for instance, the General Secretary of Education International, Dave Edwards is on our board, um, Keita Takayama, Yuto Kitamura, um, Arathi Sriprakash, and Iveta Silova. So we have a good mix of academics from different parts of the world, plus um, David sort of representing um, both civil society and unions in a sense. Um, and so, that you know, we we have very good meetings where they help direct what we're trying to do. And, you know, the big part now is really fundraising. And, and it is a challenge when we don't take we don't take money 
for advertisements. We don't do sponsored content. So we don't let, say, an organization come in and say, we'll give you money if we can dictate what content goes on the show. So we refuse to do that. We want to be independent. But maintaining independence really is a challenge financially because if you say no to advertisers, which we do get offers. So for instance, some e-cigarette companies have been in touch with me about advertising. Uh, and also, interestingly, Pearson has been in touch with me about using Freshhead content on some of their examinations for a fee, right? They're willing to pay money, but we've just consistently said, no, we do not want any of our material to be used in that way. We don't want to advertise, but yet we want everything to be public, right? We want absolutely everything to be public and open access. Um, and so maintaining that balance is really, really tricky. And so we've, you know, we're working with some good funders. Um, so NORAG funds us, which is a, a, an NGO based in Switzerland. They've been fantastic to basically guarantee us um, editorial independence um, Open Society Foundations has, has been a great funder as well, and they also have allowed independence. And now we're relying more and more on our own listenership, asking for donations. Um, but it is a struggle, and, and it's sort of this up and down. We, you know, it's, yeah, it, it, it's a struggle. It's an interesting sort of realization that I, I'm, it's, it's new to me, trying to think about philanthropy and d donations on, on you know, not an academic side or someone giving money, but on the, you know, ask, actually asking for it. it it's, it's not an easy position to be in. Um, but for such a wonderful project, and um, I would just urge anyone actually out there, um, there's a donation campaign at the moment, isn't there, Will? And mm. if anyone was uh, able to go on and even make a small contribution, it would keep this um, kind of public um, outward open access uh, initiative on the road. Um, so you've talked about some of the challenges, but I wonder what the highlights for you have been, you know, maybe unexpected highlights. Well, Susan, it's speaking to you every single year in December. It's that's been fantastic. You and Roger. It but it has been. I mean, there's something so nice about the consistency, right? And and being able to reflect back on the year with two people. It's just been so great. And we've obviously built a rapport over those years that built on top of a sort of, you know, a friendship that lasted long has lasted longer than that. And so that's been really quite special to me. And I've always looked forward to those end of the year shows. And in fact, those are some of the most listened to shows we have. So I think even the audience really enjoys them. I mean, the other things I can say is that the field of education is so broad. And we've purposely sort of made this show not about anything in particular. I mean, of course, it's about things I'm interested in because I'm ultimately the one that chooses who gets to go on. So there is a bit of a bias uh, in that sense. But more or less, we do invite people that are far outside of the field of education that I work in specifically. And so I've just had such a pleasure reading and interviewing people so far outside of what I normally do. Um, and it really has given me an appreciation for how broad and diverse this field really is. The other thing is that I've sort of had the liberty to go beyond the field in a sense, right? So instead of thinking about people in education proper, I was able to think, you know what, in most of our writing, we use scholars far outside of education, many scholars who would never consider themselves in the field of education. Um, and so why not bring those people on the show? 
And so over the years, I've had the opportunity to talk to, you know, people like Saskia Sassen or Arjuna Paterai or Jason Hickel or David Harvey. And that has just been, you know, so amazing to be able to talk to them, people that I've used in my own writing, to talk to them face to face and ask them questions about how they understand education. And so that's just been, you know, really wonderful. Another big highlight for me was in when CIES was held in San Francisco, we did a live event. And so we so this was before the pandemic hit. And we, in fact, we actually planned to do a live event in Miami. Um, but then because of the pandemic and the Miami conference was canceled, we weren't able to do it. But those live events were so special because, you know, coming together with a group of sort of colleagues and researchers all sort of interested in the same thing, but being in a physical place together and sort of doing what we're doing now, Susan, where we would talk in front of a live audience, even though the audience here is is on Zoom, there's something really nice about it because it, it sort of creates this community that I don't think I can necessarily feel when I'm just interviewing someone one-on-one. -on -one. And so there, there's something really special about that. And I'd like to sort of explore that in the future. The, um, I'm reminded when you were talking about bringing um, you know, interlocutors and you know, people that are really important to um, the social sciences more generally into education conversations. It reminds me very much of what our colleague Roger Dale talks about of as the, the kind of politics of education. And I think that's what's incredibly important about uh, Fresh Ed as a, as a, as a project. Um, just for any of our audience, uh, Will's interviewing me typically at the end of the year uh, as an editor of Globalisation Societies and Education. And uh, most recently we had a changeover of um, co-editor to now include Mario Novelli, uh, Roger's now retired. Um, but it's, it's, it's always such a terrific, um, you know, the year in roundup. And Will always presents me with a question that I'm thinking, hmm, Oh, I need to think a bit more about that one. Um, but perhaps I, I, I want to ask you, you know, is there something that surprised you um, as well? You know, some insights or individuals or perhaps even the extent to which maybe this project's kind of morphing off in different directions? I mean, that it is surprising when you start a project and, and you know, it sort of takes a life on it of its own and it becomes more than one person and that is surprising and to sort of be so intimately involved in every aspect of fresh ed and as it grows you have to sort of let it go and let other people take it on and you realize you know the creativity of, of people on the team can sort of make things better and so you sort of you know it's just so surprising and amazing in a way to to realize what can be created and what can be produced by a group of people. And so the, the sort of, you know, recognizing that doing it alone is actually not a good idea, right? Act, bringing in people was really, really valuable. Um, I, I am surprised often getting, I get emails from listeners quite regularly, and I'm always surprised to hear from listeners. Like, I guess I never, I, I always think about the listeners, but it's it's always in the abstract because it's statistics, it's, you know, thinking of our, our listenership as, as students and as teachers and as pr practitioners. And because we don't really do many things face to face, and I, you know, even our team, I haven't met all of our team members ever in person, right? We do everything online. 
And so to get emails from listeners and, you know, just to say thank you or to sort of just say how they're using it. Some people tell me they like to listen to it when they're, you know, going on a jog and they only like to go jogging for 30 minutes. So if I could, you know, keep the shows to 30 minutes, that would be really helpful for them. I mean, it's just surprising in in the best way possible. Um, and so I really cherish those, you know, the feedback you get from, from people. Um, or I, I get emails from professors saying, Hey, Will, I ha- I'm doing a class on this topic. Do you do you have something on Fresh Ed that could be used? And you know, and that's always surprising too. That you know these these professors that I've looked up to and have read, they're now contacting me saying they want to use something that I've created or help create in their own classes. I mean, it's just so it's surprising, and I you know it's humbling in many ways. And I must say, there's an amazing range of topics, Will, um, that you're, you're covering, you know, and not just the kind of obvious ones. Um, and so I'd invite, uh, you know, all of our Ideas Lab um, and, you know, anyone out there that's not been a regular fresh ed, you know, there's always something fantastically interesting around the corner. I'm wondering if there's a thing that you'd quite like to change about the current programming. Are you kind of happy with the format or you do you feel that you're, I can see you're playing with uh, in, inviting, you know, people to identify their favourites. You know, where did that idea come from? Yeah, so the recommended feature, yeah. So that idea was uh, created basically by our team. I forget exactly who came up with it, but... So we, we faced the dilemma of having over 200 episodes and realizing that it's um, quite hard for people to find past episodes. They might see what the new one is, but how do you know what the old one is? And particularly if you're someone who just started their master's degree and, you know, just started realizing or, or listening to Fresh Ed, how do you even begin to look back on these 200 plus episodes? I mean, now we have 230 episodes. And so what we decided was, well, what if we just ask people to curate the episodes, right? And so we, we thought a lot about how do you do searching for, you know, content online? So you can categorize everything. And so we have, so there's tags on everything. So you can search for, you know, country names and topics. And, and we have a search bar, like, you know, you're Googling Fresh Ed and you can do that and search whatever you'd like. But some people are actually more interested in what, sort of respected people or, or just anyone, someone that, you know, they that has put together different episodes of Fresh Ed in some sort of considered way, what we would call curation. And so we, we've decided to, to try that recommended feature. And I think so far it's going pretty well. I mean, we've been, we're still trying to get more and more people to actually, you know, recommend for us. So if, if anyone, you know, who's listening or anyone on this call right now, if, if you want to create a recommended list, we'd be very happy to, you know, work with you and include you in that in that project. Yes, I think that curation job, because otherwise you'll just, it's the recency issue, isn't it, of just, you know, what's kind of visible and on the horizon, but um, being able to connect back to issues and even to see how, you know, issues have changed, the discussion over um, education uh, problems and and so on, um, clearly has to have changed over the last um, 12 months. Just let me remind you, Will, actually, we were planning on a fresh air event up in Cambridge um, before we went into lockdowns. So we're still hoping that that emerges uh, into the future. 
I mean, can I just kind of reflect on this format of Fresh Ed? So it's mm. a it's a conversation, and yet our worlds, particularly in the academy, um, particularly in the academy, it's very text based. Um, and do you often reflect on why Fresh Ed has been so successful? That in fact it's a different kind of um, knowledge production, and that there's something. Um, very different about what you can learn and engage with using that kind of format? So it's a really good question. And I think as I've done this more and more, it is something that I've been really sort of concerned about and thinking about and thinking about knowledge production and, and dissemination and what how that looks like in a podcast and then how might a podcast actually sort of reimagine how universities create knowledge and disseminate knowledge. And I I think there is a great opportunity for podcasting. And, and I don't actually think it should be podcasting in terms of like, many universities like to do podcasting because of like PR. And so it's a PR thing. It's, it's for public relations. It's to, you know, get more students to enroll in their universities. I don't actually think that's the valuable part. I think there's something more about independent media or, um, using podcasts in ways to to explore ideas that that might be slightly different than in a written article to hear people's voices um to 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 layer sound create soundscapes to to bring the listener into locations in ways that you couldn't normally do um in writing i guess you could in writing but it's it's a very different sort of experience if you're listening to a place rather than reading about a place so for instance we are one new initiative we have with Fresh Ed is called Fresh Ed Flux, and it's um, our fellowship program. And so we've offered four fellowships to graduate students uh, last year, and we've been working with them very closely over the last, uh, I guess it's been about seven months now, and they're developing narrative-based podcasts on their research that they've done in their master's or PhD work. And so one, uh, one fellow... Uh, Daniela, she's working on a um, a story about rural education in Colombia, and she did an ethnographic research for her master's degree, where she interviewed over two hundred people in her research. And she's what she's done for her podcast is create a composite character, which is actually a normal ethnographic methodology. But what she did is we we hired a young boy in Colombia to read the script that she created based on her 200 interviews. And it is, you know, it's just so powerful to listen to a young boy in Colombia talk about life in rural Colombia and schooling based on, like, you know, a year or two years of research. It's just, it's so incredibly powerful. I'm so excited to actually air it for listeners later this year. Um, and so I think there is something really valuable that podcasts are doing in the academy um, that I think we need to explore more. I mean, the other thing that I've worked on with Matthew Thomas out of um, University of Sydney, he and I started getting interested in um, podcasting as basically people are beginning to, or people are learning through podcasting in, in times uh, that aren't normally used for learning. So for instance, the, the person who wrote to me about going for a jog or the person who wrote to me about they like to, to listen to podcasts when they're washing the dishes 
or they like to listen to the podcast of Fresh Ed when they're cleaning the house or when they're driving, commuting to work. Those are all pedagogical spaces that never really existed before. We never thought about a university getting access to that time period in someone's life. But now with a podcast and they sort of, you know, everyone has a cell phone and earbuds or, you know, it's, it's near ubiquitous, you can listen, you know, during those times. And I think the other aspect with the pandemic is people are so sick of looking at screens all day long that the podcast actually becomes a really nice alternative where you can listen but not have to look at something. Even reading something on your computer can be tiresome these days because your eyes just get fatigued from sitting at the computer all day long. So I think there's a lot of possibility and opportunity to explore what that might look like. And the last thing I think I would say is, and this is something that we've been struggling with and working on quite a lot, is the issue of language. So, of course, Fresh Ed is an English language podcast, and unfortunately, we have only been able to get primarily people on the show who speak English as a first language. Um, That's not for lack of trying. We try very, very, very hard to get people from all over the world on, but it's, you know, I, I wouldn't be comfortable speaking in a foreign language on a recording. Um, so I would imagine many, you know, other people feel the same way. So it is something that we, we've been struggling with. And, and how do you not just sort of reproduce the same sort of colonial legacies of, of you know, English language as being the dominant form of, of uh, uh, by which knowledge is produced and disseminated? And so we've done a lot of translation. So we've taken transcripts of episodes and translated them into different languages to make it more accessible. Um, we've also started, we, we started thinking about how do you actually just do shows in other languages? Uh, and so what we've come up with, and soon we will be launching, this is probably the first time I've ever told a public audience about this, um, but we are in the process of launching a Portuguese version of Fresh Ed. And Um, It's in collaboration with the University of Porto, a professor, a researcher there, um, as well as the Brazilian Campaign for the Right to Education in Brazil. Um, We are creating a new podcast that'll be very much like Fresh Ed. It won't won't feature me. I do do not speak Portuguese. Um, But it will be basically bringing Portuguese researchers on to talk about education broadly defined. So it's not going to just be about issues in Brazil or issues in Portugal or issues in Lusophone-speaking African countries. No, it's going to be about whatever ed, you know education topic it is. It'll just be in Portuguese. And then we're going to translate everything back into English and disseminate it widely. And so I think the future in many ways is thinking through different language groups and creating podcasts with different languages that then can sort of do similar things, but um, to different groups, and then creating those translations that can then sort of disseminate knowledge in multiple directions. And I think that's what we're aiming to do going forward. 
They're really exciting developments, I must say, Will, and um, I'm kind of thinking of colleagues here in uh, in our faculty who have been developing a, a Clarink, which is a Latin American initiative, and I know they'll be super, super uh, interested. Um, Spanish and Portuguese uh, are the two kind of languages that that, that kind of group is, is working with, and I'm sure that they'll be reaching out to you. Um, I'm looking particularly and thinking of colleagues like uh, Alex and others to say, can we get involved in that kind of initiative and how might that work for the, the new networks that they've been setting up? So, Will, I would just want to say uh, thank you so much for talking to us at the Ideas Lab. Um, thank you also for allowing us to um, interview you for Fresh Ed. Um, you're such an inspiration as a creator, as a host, as a, as, as, as a, as a, as a person that's politically committed to education and uh, I could hear the kind of challenges you're talking about as to keeping something incredibly successful on the road once it becomes institutionalised. But in any way that we can help um, in this uh, education community, um, we'll roll our sleeves up and hope to get there. So we'll, on behalf of all of us, thank you. Thank you, Susan, and thank you everyone on the call today. It's really great to talk to you and thank you for all the support. Will Brem, that's me, is a lecturer at UCL Institute of Education in London. He's the host of this show, Fresh Ed. A transcript of today's interview can be found at freshedpodcast.com. Please note that opinions expressed on Fresh Ed are solely those of the host or the guest interviewed, not Fresh Ed, which takes no institutional position. If you've liked what you've heard today, please rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Reviews really do help. Fresh Ed's team includes Sherry Yang, Lushi Guaba, Fatih Aktas, Ing Jung Cho, Obafemi Ongunle, Dion Jiang, Joe Fei, Annabella Boteng, Anya Lin, and Phyllis Minaj. Original music for Fresh Ed was created by Digital Priming. Fresh Ed is an independently run podcast without advertisements and is made possible by the support of the Open Society Foundations, NORAG, and listeners like you please consider donating to Fresh Ed by visiting freshedpodcast.com slash donate. Again, that's freshedpodcast.com slash donate. Thanks for listening. I'm Will Brem, and I'll be back next week.